This is a podcast from Rover. Our next guest is an absolute weapon. He's the founding member and genius behind Queens of the Stone Age. He's the stick man for Eagles of Death Metal, the front man for the legendary trio Them Crooked Vultures, and has lent his hand, voice, and many other talents to bands like Royal Blood, Foo Fighters, Run the Jewels, and Arctic Monkeys. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rock Drive show is pumped and honoured to have with us a legend of a human being. A musician, singer, songwriter, record producer and three-time Grammy nominee. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the Ginger Elvis himself, Mr. Josh Homme. Hello, mate. Welcome back to Rock Drive. Yeah, mate. Oh, my God, that was embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I put a lot of time and effort into making that one, uh, Josh, so I'm glad it embarrassed you. No, that was, that was, thank you. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good, mate, mate, we're great. Look, we're two times in one year. What an absolute treat to have you on for a, a chat again. And you are a man of your word. You said you would look at coming back down under and you bloody well are. So thank you. Well, you know, I'm coming there. I, every record, I've got to do it. You know, not, I want to do it. I don't got to do it. I, I want to do it. So what, yeah. what, what still excites you about playing live? Oh, uh, you know, I think there's just something to that, that that can't be replaced by something else. And frankly, it's it's a bit... I've been doing it since I was 14, I guess, 18 years old. And so it's it would be akin to someone telling me I can't, you know, like no more water or something. <laughs> it's just something that my body has used to, def- to live its life. And so to take it away now would be strange. Do you remember, Josh, the show that got you hooked on the whole live experience? Was there a certain show that stands out in your mind from that? I mean, my very first ones, you know, uh, played Halloween night when I was uh, 14. So what would that be, uh, 1987, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, just making the the making of the, the flyer it was the first Kaius gig we were called Cats and Jammer. Our sing John, the singer, sat in the car the whole time while we played our songs over and over without a singer. <laughs> and making the flyer, just having a gang and doing your thing. Yeah. And that reaction where some people can't stand what you're doing and other people like it. It's just the whole risk of it all. It's like a big gamble. What what do you remember uh, about coming off stage that night? Having to load all our gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the shit bits of being a rock and roll musician. <laughs> no, it'll keep you humble, man. Keep yeah. you humble. And yeah, not many people see that side. They go show, show up to the show, have an absolute rip-roaring time, and then they take off out the doors, and then you see the band packing down all the gear, packing down the PA, packing down the drum kit, loading it into the van. Um, I mean, <laughs> you don't still do that now, do you? <laughs> No, but we had a we had a on the like clockwork tour we had a festival in Italy, and the crew was on a flight, and the flight got canceled, and so in order to play this festival, and we were like third from the top, we had to tack our own gear, so we just did. And I remember uh, there were all these bands, their crews were saying, "You're not going to do this; it's not going to happen," and they were just. It felt good to shock everyone that, that it was like, no. Nah. I mean, we pushed our own gear out on stage. And the, uh, the audience, hold on, that's Bob. Hello, Bob. Hey, Bob. <laughs> yeah, so we, we pushed our own gear out on the stage. Come on, Bobby. Yeah, but it actually felt really good to do that. It, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to do it every night, but it was good to do it the one time, you know. Still like, fuck you, we remember our roots. Yeah. Well, plus it was, it, Iggy was playing that on the same stage 
I think he was playing right before us. And it was just, I was like, fucking got to show Iggy, you know, <laughs> got to show Iggy what we're made of. Do, do you reckon Iggy yeah. is, uh, I guess if you were to label one person, the most rock and roll person, would Iggy be it for you? Yeah, there's no comparison. There's he's no, the second place is really far away. Mm. Iggy a, is, he's just, uh, you know, I've gotten the pleasure of knowing him really well over these years and. I still, there's still a part of it where I'm just in awe of what his will is because it's a playing live and things like that. It's just about willingness, what you're willing to do and what you're willing to overlook or throw away, you know, and Iggy, his willingness is just beyond everyone else's. Let's chat about what you're willing to do because there was, uh, I understand, an incident in Norway where you guys were like, oh, well, show must go on, like the absolute epitome of that. Uh, quite a gnarly experience where most people would have crawled up into a ball and maybe even called the entire tour off. Yeah, I, oh, well, we got salmonella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, <laughs> Not ideal. We, 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 got, we got salmonella and, you know, it lost about 28 pounds. I don't know where it is in kilos uh in about seven days and we were on IVs and, but it just, I felt, I don't know. I'm not, a, I just don't cancel. I won't cancel. I don't care what the situation is. Mm. Um, I feel like everyone cancels and I just think, you know, it doesn't matter if it's lightning or illness. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to play. And yeah, so we, we didn't just do one show. We did about nine shows and then the tour was finally over, <laughs> but it was so difficult to, I realized at one point I had this long coat on and it was raining and you're playing and singing and, you know, you've lost all this weight and you you have no energy. And I, But I was sweating so bad and I realized there was just a very thin layer of that jacket that was dry. The inside <laughs> and the outside was soaking wet, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the show must go on. When, <laughs> what are you going to do, go home? You're, you're already all the way in Norway. The idea of going home was impossible. Twelve hours on the shitter on a on a flight all the way back—it's not ideal either, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's, might as well stay there and get it done. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> it. I've just um I've just finished listening, Josh, uh, to your mate Dave Grohl's uh, book, The Storyteller, and in there he says that food poisoning, salmonella, is the worst nightmare for a touring musician. But you do what you have to do to make it to the show. Was there anything special or out of the ordinary that you guys did as a band to kind of prep yourself up to get back out there and get on stage? for those nine or so shows uh it when when it finally got to where we're on ivs and then the doctor pulled it out right <laughs> as the tour manager was going and it, our tour manager was locked in a hospital quarantine and they wouldn't let him go so we had our another guy that was tour managing us for a second oh. and they pull out the ivs and then and i hear it five minutes and i was like five minutes five minutes you know um sweet but there's something about going on stage that turns off your body functions and your brain functions and your your worries and all that stuff, it all goes away. You know, I think your body focuses all its adrenaline forward. Mm. And so um, if you feel like shit, to not play means you feel like shit 24 hours a day. But to, to play, even though you feel like shit, it means that two hours are good and 22 hours are shit. You know, so I'll take it <laughs> every day of the week, and that right there is fucking <laughs> rock and roll. Um, a lot has been written about your car, the fact that you've only, and I know you've probably been asked uh, many times in interviews about the '67 Camaro, but I was reading a fair bit this morning, and, and I couldn't really find a lot of information about it. So, um, where where did you pick the thing up? Why have you held on to it? And how much money do you think you've had to pour into it over the years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had the same car since I was 14. Yeah, 
67 Camaro and I, but I, you know, I've lived in it. I've slept in it. I, I, uh, I once beat up a, a Nazi skinhead and he sued me. And I, so I had no money at all. So I slept in it for eight weeks and it's terribly uncomfortable to sleep in, you know? Um, and so Bob, no yelling. Yeah. I've just always had it. I, I just never considered ever letting it go. And now it's got a, it's got a dyno blueprint of 350 in it, and yeah. it just feels good to drive it. Have you done the- nothing? Feels better than listening to black metal driving yeah. past like a farmer's market yeah. with the windows down, <laughs> just black metal. <laughs> just go, going like two kilometers an hour, just going, yeah. while it's going, oh, God, I love it. That's, it's the little things. That Sound, make it yeah, happen, sounds you know? like a great Sunday morning to me as well. That sounds marvelous. Um, also heard that you oh, yeah. that you snuck off to a gig. Uh, was it a Danzig gig in the in the Camaro when you were younger? Yeah. <laughs> How do you guys know that, Bob? No yelling. You actually stole the thing. You go. Come on, boy. Sorry about that, boys. You're all right. Gotta, gotta take care. Of, gotta take care of Bob. We're dog owners, mate. We love it. Yeah, we're here before, for it. We, before I had a driver's license, uh, I was 15, and I had to sit on an apple crate and just stole a thing and, <laughs> and drove to see uh, Danzig on his first record. He's 15 years old. Because not, not a lot of rock and yeah. roll went through your parts living where you grew up. And I, th- I understand Billy Idol was one of the gigs that did come through your town or close to it. Billy Idol. But yeah. Black Flag played, but I was uh, too young to go out. I saw DRI play there, Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. Uh, and, uh, but really nobody... Nobody ever played played a gig with a band. <laughs> no yelling, Bob. Come on, Bob. He's so old. He's so old. It's like Blair Witch. He's just yeah. standing in the corner barking. Um, and Bob, get over here. Come on, Bob. <laughs> and uh, Billy, uh, I, 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 you can talk about this if you want, but apparently Billy was quite busy when he came to town. God, where do you get? You guys are digging deep. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're trying to set me up to tell this story. I, I guess Billy Idol slept with my friend's sister. Yeah. Like what? And I always, and so I, I was always like, yeah, man, I should sleep with her too, man. That would be great. I just, you know, you're, I was like 12. Yeah. I was like thinking, oh, like as if that's my, that would have been my connection to Billy Idol. It's very strange. It was a very strange 12 year old thought that I had. <laughs> what a, what a freaking bizarre thing to have happen when you live in a relatively small town. Then one of the global superstar comes to town <laughs> and sleeps with your mate's sister. And like your, that's so hard to wrap your head around at your, that age. But your friend, your friend is like, dude, my sister slept with Billy. Isn't that amazing? And we're all sitting around kids little kids talking about it kind of high-fiving like whoa you know oh that's fantastic uh, because that when you're when your worldview is so small and when you live in a small town you know um something like that you you think that's impossible (laughs) and so what i think what i do think is interesting about that is that is is juvenile and or whatever as our little kid minds were it was like wow the possible can be made the impossible can be made possible you know and and that in itself is, is worth its weight in gold. When's the, when's the last time you caught up with that, mate? Uh, it's been years. It's been many. I, I, he, he ended up moving to New Zealand at some point. Oh, my his gosh. Mom joined the, his mom joined the circus, and then they moved to New Zealand for a while. And when he came back, he had a, a New Zealand accent. Like, he was gone for a decade. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you're getting a lot of gold here on this show. So no one else. Uh, are we just? With no one else. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, there's a hell of a circus scene here in New Zealand. I can see why they travel right across the globe to, to play the circus circuit in New Zealand. <laughs> Oh, good. I, I didn't say it was a good idea. I just said it was their idea. <laughs> it happened. Shit, that's good. Yeah. Oh, marvellous. Hey, well, yeah. we've got you for a few more minutes, Josh, so I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the brand new album in Time's New Roman. Um, congratulations on it. It's an absolute screamer of an album. Uh, from the last chat that you had with the show, you were talking us through how there's a lot more dark themes and tones to this album. I'm going to just come out straight out now and say that my favourite jam on that album is Paper Machete, a song that we've just started chucking on um, quite high rotation here on station but I want to talk about after not after you not picking up a guitar for a couple of years mate how did how did that writing process come for you when you were putting this album together well I just you know I just when it comes to Queens it's just I just wanted to be real <laughs> I just gotta know that we put the music and the words and all the, that production value together and push that boulder to the right spot mm. and that's all I care that's and you know, it's not about perfection or anything like that. It's, it's about showing the scars in their in the right light. You know, um, for whatever reason, that process has gotten more difficult for me personally as the years have gone on. And, and maybe just because I'm interested in um, tackling the things in my life that are more fragile, even if they're framed in something that outwardly sounds like heavier rock music or something like that. That's just one brush to paint with a little bit, sonic brush, you know. I, I yeah, so um, it's just harder to make. And I, and I have read, you've said in a couple of interviews that uh, rock and roll is your therapy. Like some people go to a therapist to chat to them. It's like when you're having that creative outlet, that's almost like a chance for you to wash away some of the shit that's going on. Well, I, I think in, in that, Speaking in terms of that, if, if you're not honest, if you do go to therapy and you're not honest about what's really going on, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's useless. You're just, you know, putting on a show for a stranger, you know, and I, the same applies for music. I know what I understand is honesty for myself. And I know when I'm, if I'm trying to cheat that, I will, I will be unhappy. <laughs> and that's, I, this is the, the purest chance that I have um, learned to work with of figuring things out as far as you can. That doesn't mean to figuring them out in total. You know, in fact, even songs that I have had laying around in pieces, I don't, I know for years I've stopped saying this is not a good song. I just say, this is something I don't understand. It's, it's just, I'm not qualified or smart enough to get it at this point, mm -hmm. you know? And, that's and I just leave it at that. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe you'll come back to those tracks. Um, me personally, negative spaces. That uh, guitar riff is like, yeah, so addictive, eh? Like, I'm glad you dragged it all the way through that song. You should be very proud of the album, no doubt. You guys all are it's epic and been very well received here in New Zealand. I'm uh, conscious of time running out. Um, one final question from us: What is your favourite memory of something that you've done in New Zealand? Because you've been here a bunch of times now. You must like it. You've, you know, you keep coming back, which we bloody love. Well, you know. Um, I don't know if it's like hydro boating and <laughs> outside of Christchurch or making up. I think it's got to be the time I, the time I spent with my own family there. You know, I brought my kids many times and I, I made a, a little movie called Graveyard, walking through the graveyard in Auckland with my daughter uh, when she was five. 
And, you know, I think when you have good memories at a place, it's easy to want to return there because it just, you, you feel like you're walking into those ghosts. And that's why, that's why it's, it's very simple to want to go back to New Zealand. It's, it's an easy answer, you know. Mate, we bloody love having you and yeah. uh, appreciate the fact you're doing a, a shows in both islands. Bloody uh, people in the South Island always like, why isn't the rock and roll coming to the South Island? But I see you've locked in a date down there. Um, we can't wait to see you again. We appreciate for you for taking time out of your busy schedule, mate. You're a bloody legend. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for the intro. Appreciate it, man. Easy, mate. We'll send <laughs> it for the ringtone. Yep. <laughs> Have a happy Halloween, see mate. See you next time. We'll see you next year. You got it.